0: For many of you, this is not a strange face. Well, I mean, kind of a strange face. But... Wow, that's a good joke. No, yeah. a good joke. Yeah. Be, be kind. This is for you. Exactly. <laughs> I will, I will yeah. be kind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, Your New Year's resolution yeah, already. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I'm out. I'm out. I'm walking down. Uh, Chris Townley has been a part of Journey Church from just about the beginning. He's played a lot of Roles uh, around our church. Uh, The last significant role that he played was our teaching pastor here. Uh, Just recently, this last fall, uh, we had the privilege of getting to send Chris down to Phoenix, Arizona, where in downtown Phoenix, he's planted a church with his buddy Chase called Kaleo. We're very, very excited to be able to partner with him in that. But what we want to do over the long term is uh, that we want to keep a strong relationship uh, with Chris. He's had a large influence on who we are as a church, and we want to continue to foster that, So you're going to see him on our stage very, very regularly. So let's give a warm, warm journey welcome to Chris Townley. Thanks, Bob. Here, there you go. Is that kind? That's good. That was good. You're a work in progress too. That's good. Good, good, good morning, Journey. Uh, it's good to be with all of you. Uh, glad to be here. The, this has been a, a dream of mine, actually, for for many years to to figure out what it might look like to be sent by a community and then return to it uh, to to tell you all about what's going on uh, in the community that we've now been forming in Phoenix. Uh, the, the, the picture or the heart or the vision behind that is is certainly connected to just some of those letters we read in the New Testament where uh, they're, they're writing back and saying, here's what's going on in this place or this place, or, or here's a letter to that place on how you should live and act, and here's what's going on, and so... Uh, I'm, I'm essentially a letter in the flesh. I, I come from our church, Kaleo, in downtown Phoenix, and I bring peace with me. Uh, and and so, so as I've thought about that, I, I know I want to like I want to share an update. With all of you. I want to tell you what's going on and what we're up to and what we're like and all that stuff. But at the same time, I wanted to bring something with me that, that, was, that was deeper, that, that goes beyond that, um, that might speak to all of us here present in this room at this time and at this moment uh, as well. And so uh, I've, I've tried to do that. Uh, Bob asked me, he's like, hey, what, what could we share uh, about Kaleo? Like, to, to, to brag about you, like, that's, just thing, that's the thing Bob always wants to do, right? Like, how can we make you sound really good? And I'm like, that's going to be hard to do, um, and I don't want you to tell lies. So, no, really, he was like, what about some stats, or, or maybe or maybe vision, or that sort of thing? And, and I was like, yeah, we've got that. We've got that. But, but I think I wanted, to, I wanted to share something more. So, I'm just going to read you the text message that I, that I sent to Bob as we were trying to process through. So, apparently, he's not sharing these. I'm just going to share them uh, now. And so, so I said, hey, I've been thinking uh, about what what we could share about Kaleo, and I have stats or a vision and all of that stuff, and, and I'll actually talk about that, but it all just kind of seemed uh, a little bit blah to me. I wanted to, to share something more, I suppose, a glimpse into what's going on. So here's, here's what I said. I said, some of our friends experiencing homelessness keep bringing their friends and apparently tell people at the homeless shelter about Kaleo, so they come for the food and the friendship. We have a meal every time we gather, so... Uh, they've they've got word of that. Uh, one woman had been to eight churches and came up to me crying at the end of a gathering, saying she was lonely and tired of going to church alone and anonymous. I was able to introduce her to a few people during our meal time, and they were able to form a friendship. And she hasn't come to church alone since then. Ten or more, or it's just an ongoing number. To be honest with you, people have articulated to us over the last couple months. That they had given up on Jesus and the church, but someone invited them to to something that might just be a little different for them to give it one more try, and now Kaleo is their home. We have consistent people who are dreamers, agnostic, young, old, married, divorced, gay, and even a handful of committed saints who are part of what we're doing and all of this and more, there's more stories to all of that is why we, and this is our vision, strive to create space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. That's what I read the first service, but I had another thought too, like that makes it sound, well, at least I think it makes it sound fun. There's also like, some of my friends have already left. And there's like the reverse side of that because we're about to talk about community and community is really hard. And so sometimes it's really hard with the people that are there and sometimes it's really par- hard for the people who leave. And so I don't wanna paint any picture of, of some like pie in the sky vision of what we're doing. Um, but I wanna show you what we're doing on the ground and the, the, the messy lives of people, which is where all of us live. So you'll be able to relate And so as I've thought about what does it look like to bring something deeper beyond just an update, reading you those things, uh, I feel like God has been speaking this to me consistently over the last year, And, and I think it's what he wants to share with us today, and it's this reminder that you are loved and we need each other, that you are loved and we need each other, and so everything that I want to share today kind of centers around that, this reminder that you are loved and this reminder that We need each other. So as I thought about how do we begin, it's kind of like this. It's like, these are the lessons of a church planter, right? It's a whole nother world that I deposited myself into. And, And these are coming from that lens, but hopefully they speak to where we are here now too. Because if you're anything like any person in this room, which is just like, okay, we're all the same. We all have a tendency to be on a search for the idealized community, We have a tendency to be on the search for an idealized community, and all of that then lives within the tension of a culture prone toward consumerism. So we have an idealized community in mind, and the culture around us says, consume, consume, consume. So what do we do with all of that? Mark Sayers, a pastor and author from Australia, he says it like this. He says, consumer culture tells us we can do it all, yet we become paralyzed by endless options. Consumer culture creates in us a mentality of toxic entitlement, a sense that we can have it all, but without struggle or cost. Consumerism is the worship of comfort and the avoidance of difficulty. And thus, in turn, it disciples us to change our external situation rather than embracing the work of inner renewal. See, we're prone to say, this is not what I wanted it to be, so I'm going to exit this thing, as opposed to staying in that space a little bit longer and saying, God, what do you wanna do in me? What do you wanna do with me, through me? And I think it's Jesus who, in fact, invites us to that other way. In the midst of our pursuit of an idealized community, in the midst of a consumer culture, he says, let's go this way together. And so around Kaleo, we talk about the rhythms of Jesus's life, and the way we, we frame it is like this Following the ways of Jesus together means that we pay special attention to his rhythms, and these are his rhythms. Now, you may have heard something similar in the shape of a triangle. <laughs> this is kind of like a triangle, but also a spiral. Right? So, here, here's what we say around Kaleo: We say, Jesus humbly sought the presence of God to be formed into the family of God to join in the mission of God. And that might relate to the triangle, as you know it, up, in, and out, that we've talked about many times in this space, right? Jesus humbly sought the presence of God, that is the up, if you will, to be formed into the family of God, that is the in, to join in the mission of God, that is the out. Now, the the triangle is a bit confining for me, so I think of it as a spiral, where all of those things just crumble together right over and over again. Like you can't have one without the other and they move continuously with each other. That's what this is, a spiral. (laughs) And so before we pay attention to how the rhythms of Jesus's life might inform how we become the community he longs for, let me pray. God, we are humbled to be here together this morning. You have granted us the the gift to gather in your presence. You are already here, God. We don't have to urge you to be among us. Instead, we welcome you. And we invite you, Spirit of God, to teach us, to shape us, to mold us, to transform us, to make us more like your son, Jesus. Have your way with us this morning, Lord. I pray that if there's anything that any of us brought in here that might be a distraction to what you have for us, that you would just give us the courage to humbly set that before you. And now would you open up our hearts and our eyes and our minds and our lives to receive what it is you have for us. It might be an old reminder, it might be brand new transformative piece of information, but above all of that, God, I pray that we would have undeniable encounters with you in this space because you are here with us now. May we not lose sight of that gift. We are in awe that you wanna meet us and be with us. And so, Lord, I pray that as I speak, you would give me your words to speak. I don't wanna say anything that's not for you or from you, God. We wanna make much of you. We wanna be drawn into intimacy with you, a God who is in constant relationship and invites us into relationship. Show us the way forward as followers of Jesus who are being formed into your family. We trust you with this. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we talk about community, I'm gonna gonna read some scripture because I did bring some of that too. And and it's from Colossians. And it's this section where Paul is writing a letter to this church in Colossae. And he's kind of like telling them, hey, now that you know who you are as followers of Jesus, this is how you should be together. This is how it all comes together. And I'm gonna read this and you're gonna find yourself as I read it going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I think something will happen and you'll be like, ooh, yeah, yeah," maybe. So it sounds kind of great until you think about actually practicing and living into it. So here's what it is. I'll let you decide for yourself if you want this or not. Here's what Paul says, verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow. Great picture. Until we have to do it. Like what? Make allowances for each other's faults? Yeah. Forgive? Eh. Ask for wisdom? Eh. Or like it starts to get kind of like, ah, never mind. Like we think we want to be formed into a community such as this, but The reality is we find ourselves over and over again being like, ah, but do I actually want this? Something in us pushes back. And I think there's that tendency in light of our our picture of something ideal, the consumerism that's rampant all around us, and then we're in what many people are labeling a loneliness epidemic. People are currently in our society right now more lonely than they've ever been before. Cigna did a survey of over 20,000 people and they created what they called the Cigna Loneliness Index. I think you'll find the results eye-opening. Here they are. Nearly one in two Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. One in four rarely or never feel like people understand them. One in five report they never have close people they feel like they can talk about things with only half of Americans have meaningful in-person social relationships with others on a daily basis. Did you catch that? One out of every two people, so every other person in this room, would be saying that they don't have a meaningful in-person relationship each day. Maybe a digital relationship, but not a meaningful in-person relationship. Loneliness has been associated with cardiovascular problems, premature death, low quality sleep, reduction in reasoning and creativity. It affects workplace productivity, thus leading to higher cases of unemployment. Loneliness is commonly correlated with mental health concerns like anxiety, depression, and suicide. Loneliness is associated with poor coping mechanisms like compulsive technology use, which none of us can relate to, smoking and self-harm. Loneliness and social isolation can be as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. John Ortberg says, it's probably better for us to eat Twinkies with our friends than to eat healthy by ourselves. And yet... We are surrounded by so many people much of the time. Look at us. And all of those statistics can feel so heightened. Because even when we're surrounded by all these people, we can find ourselves going, No one sees me, no one understands me, people wanna use me. Who's gonna love me as I am? You see, loneliness is not aloneness. It's not simply isolation. Rather, it's a lack of meaningful relationships and or a solid support system. We can be in a room full of people and still be alone because we don't have any meaningful relationships. Jewish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman writes this in his book, Liquid Love. He says, in a consumer culture like ours, which favors products ready for instant use, quick fixes, instantaneous satisfaction, results calling for no protracted effort, foolproof recipes, all risk insurance, and money-back guarantees. The promise to learn the art of loving is a promise to make love an experience in the likeness of other commodities. Commodities that allure and seduce by brandishing brandishing all such features and promise to take the the waiting out of wanting, sweat out of effort, and effort out of results. The idea being that we all want community, yet we also all want some easy on-ramps and easy off-ramps so all of our needs can be met along the way. Anybody who's been in any serious relationship for an extended amount of time knows that that's not how it works. And so on top of this desire for a commodified community, we're also battling our own demons of loneliness and narcissism, this terrible two-headed monster of our current cultural moment. Is there any hope? Like, Chris, this is great, man. Really glad you're back. (laughs) Right? Is there any hope? Obviously, I think so. That would just be the worst sermon of all time. I'm like, no. <laughs> there is hope, right? But let me get there because for, for me, I've had this, this vision of what many in, in church circles that I've been in for the last 10, 15 years called the Acts 2 church. They mean, right, is the, the book of Acts and the second chapter of Acts, and specifically we're talking about verses 42 through 47. We want the Acts 2 church back, we said. I want the Acts 2 church where people live with one another. They give and they worship and they study and they pray and none are without need, like it's beautiful. And so often we thought we could actually form the Acts 2 church on our own. We forgot something. The Acts 2 church, as we know it, from verses 42 through 47 that we'll look at in a second, is birthed because the Holy Spirit fell on the followers of Jesus at Pentecost. It was the Spirit of God that allowed them to form this church. It was a growing dependence on his presence that brought this community about. And so it's a community of love that we see at the end of Acts 2. And it's formed because the Spirit of God is present among them. And so in light of that and all that we've heard about loneliness, now listen to Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And I know, even as we read that now, and I have this still this drive and desire for the Acts 2 church, to Like it looks different in 2020 than it did in the first century, for sure. But it's wild to think about Acts 2 in light of this question. What did the earliest followers of Jesus do when the fire and the power and the glory of God came upon them? What was their next move after that happened at the beginning of Acts 2? Was it world domination? Was it overtaking the power structures at B? Was it mass revival? No. It was intentional, relational, tangible communities of love. It doesn't mean that we're against mass revival And you could even call it mass revival when 3,000 people came to know the Lord following that moment. But from that place, what they did was form intentional, relational, tangible communities of love. They took the power of Pentecost and formed small communities of Jesus deeply committed to one another, practicing his teachings. There was fire but they needed a form to put it in. And yet, it seems to be missing in the prevailing gospel of the church in the West. Pastor John Tyson says it like this, tongue in cheek. He says in the gospel of America, from the book of Preference 2, 42 through 47, reads like this. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something and got coffee together every now and then. They were content without and had low expectations for signs and wonders in their midst. Some of the believers got together and talked about generosity, but they kept all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gathering and they didn't invite people into their homes, rarely revealing their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to people and occasionally someone was randomly saved. I mean, it's harsh. Yeah, I know. It's John's words, not mine. Yeah, John Tyson, that guy. See, we live in a preference-based society, but this picture that is unfolding in Acts is about a commitment-based community. And the juxtaposition is actually startling when we start to evaluate our lives. The reason we're called to live this way as a commitment-based community is because Jesus did this. This is how he lived. He lived this commitment. He founded it in love, on love, to be love, in the hopes that everyone would follow his lead. And so the foundation of Christian community as seen in Acts 2 is practice formed rather than opinion formed. There's specific practices that they followed in order to become the community that God invited them to be rather than opinion formed. So we follow the lead in learning love by being attentive to those practices. So here's how that looks for us at Kaleo and Phoenix. That means we pay attention to teaching. The apostles teaching, we open up the scriptures, we study the scriptures, we believe that they still speak, that they're inspired by God, that they'll, they'll inform our lives. And then we have meals. And we're like really serious about this one at Kaleo. So serious that in fact, we have a meal every single time we gather. And it's not just a, a potluck meal, which, I mean, if you grew up in the potluck era, that was great. Right? We, we actually probably need a revival of potlucks and I don't know, you guys can figure that out, but I'm leaving in a few days. Um, but, but instead of just saying, yeah, let's eat a meal after church together, what we say is let's eat a meal as part of our gathering, not after. And so all of what we do culminates in eating together. And it's not just eating, it's eating where Jesus is present, where Jesus is the host, where we remember the body and blood of Jesus where we, where we eat bread and we drink wine and we do this in remembrance of him. But also it's a table in which we celebrate what God is up to, that what he envisioned is this banquet table where everyone had a seat at the table. And so we try to practice that and embody that. And I'll tell you this, it's beautiful and so hard and messy. Which I think they would attest to. And then they said that another practice is prayer. In a world, I mean, you're at church, you're like, yeah, prayer. Right? So we just try to create space all the time for people to pray. Pray with one another, pray individually, pray as a lifestyle. Just continue to invite us into that practice. And yet, even with an emphasis on those things, any of us who emphasize those things, why is this way of community and living still so elusive? So hard to. Grab hold of and be part of. Well, the holy prophet Ron Swanson says it like I just guy yeah, gets me every time. Ron Swanson is is from Parks and Rec, and that's a TV show. I don't watch it a whole lot either, but what he's about to say is so good that I went back and watched this episode. The holy prophet Ron Swanson is talking to Leslie in this episode of Parks and Rec about her new boyfriend. And and they're trying to figure out, like, why people don't like him. And she's not sure, like, she thinks she likes him, but she's not sure what's going on. And, And here's what Ron says. He says, Leslie, he's a tourist. He vacations in people's lives, takes pictures, and moves on. Basically, Leslie, he's selfish, and you're not. And that's why you don't like him. And I was like, well, yeah. We are so prone to vacation in people's lives, to be tourists, to stop in for a moment, have relationship just long enough to put it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever we do these days. We hop in and we hop out, we hop in and we hop out. Never settling in for the ride. Recently my wife and I, we we got to go to New York City and I had never been before and that city's crazy. There's a lot going on there. It's very different than here, um, in case you didn't know. And, and so there's, there's people everywhere, right? Like there's just people everywhere. And it was so interesting because my wife Kate and I, we, we were just, we were kind of awestruck by the reality of how people explore New York City. It's like this. Like that literally, that's how they move the, around the entire city. We were like, hey, you're missing it. You're, you're, you're missing it. Right? Because that's what we're prone to do. Like, I mean, that's how you go see New York City. I get it. You tour around, you see stuff. If you like to take pictures, that's great. That's great. But like the thing is, it's this, it's this metaphor for how we move around in the world. We don't just root in something and ride it out and pay attention and be present to what's going on around us. We're always vacationing in people's lives on to the next thing. And that's what I think we see in this community in Acts. We see staying power, commitment to one another. And in that space, what was happening is they had a sense sense of awe and wonder at everything that God was doing. And I wonder, have we lost ours because we're so busy trying to capture it? You see, the foundation to their community was that they shared everything, and that was counter to everything else around them. There was no other community like them. Jesus had, in fact, shown them the way to give everything, to share everything, and they took him serious, and so they did it. You see, what was happening as they shared and sold for the sake of everyone, inward formation was going on as they did that, which led them to outward mission. Inward formation led to outward mission. And their community was extensively diverse. You see, this thing that we do at Kaleo, like I told you, we eat every week. And and so one time every month, we have this special meal. Uh, It's a meal of rice and beans. I know, people have the same reaction, rice and beans. But here's why we eat rice and beans. 90% of the world subsists on rice and beans, or at least what it costs to eat rice and beans. And so when we feed our community rice and beans, one, we save a lot of money because rice and beans are very affordable. (laughs) And then we can give that money to those who need it. But also, we sit at a table In downtown Phoenix, eating rice and beans because we're reminded that there are some who cannot join us at that table. We eat in solidarity with those in need around the world and in our own city and in our own community. And it's this reminder that they shared everything, that they ate with joy and generosity when they did that. And yet again, loneliness is rampant. Everywhere we look, there's this lack of meaningful relationships and solid support systems. But the community of people living the rhythms of Jesus is the kind of people who are moving together with an aligned purpose, right? People who have a sacrificial commitment to one another and to those in need, no matter what the need is, all built on this foundational layer of humility. That's how they sort through disagreement and dissension. Because of that, because of that kind of commitment to one another. They don't just leave and change their external situation at the first moment of hardship and challenge and conflict. They stay in it. And then the Lord did what? What did the Lord do? Added to their number, added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Saved as in like the holistic healing work of the Holy Spirit by the way of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like not just like boom, saved, done, carry on, do whatever. It's like no, saved into community, all of you. Every time they were saved, they were added to the fellowship. Not saved in isolation. Saved to be together with one another. That's what the Lord did. Because these people had founded their community on the fire, power, and glory of the Spirit of God. So it was only what the Lord could do. They couldn't manufacture a move of God. They waited for it to happen. And these people were being saved into their community. And I think sometimes in our context of church in the West, we struggle with that. We want people to get saved, so to speak. We want you to to submit and surrender your life to Jesus, yes. But I think we do them a disservice when those of us who are already following Jesus, already committed to the ways of Jesus, don't make space for them to enter into our communities. They must be saved into relationship, to meaningful relationships and support systems. That's the vision that we're given in Acts. And from that point forward, they continue to participate on mission with the Spirit of God. And yet it's still not easy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this idealized image of community with this long Quote, oh, be attentive. Here's what he says. He says, every human idealized image that is brought into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be broken up so that genuine community can survive. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. He says, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another and even God accordingly. He goes on. They stand adamant a living reproach to all others in the circle of community. They act as if they have to create the Christian community, as if their visionary ideal binds the people together. Whatever does not go their way, they call a failure. When their idealized image is shattered, they see the community breaking into pieces, so they first become accusers of other Christians in the community, then accusers of God, and finally the desperate accusers of themselves. Because God already has laid the only foundation for our community. Because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ long before we entered into common life with them. We enter into that life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. We do not complain about what God does not give us. Rather, we are thankful for what God gives us daily. You see, Bonhoeffer is also flipping the whole thing on its head. What if we would be open to receiving what is already in our midst? Maybe then we can make the thing better as opposed to just saying, no, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me that. How will we be formed into this family of God, this picture that we've been painting? Well, fortunately, Bonhoeffer goes on. He says this, the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be continually taking its temperature. Let that settle for a second. I just recently had this conversation with our congregation. We were talking about it too because the reality is if you're constantly taking the temperature of the community, do I like this song? Do I like this video? Do I like this sermon? Do I like this person? Do I like it when we do this? Do I like it when we do that? Like You're never gonna be fully present to the thing. You're just constantly taking its temperature seeing if it adds up to what your preference might be for it. That doesn't mean you can't have an honest evaluation, but if you're always taking its temperature, you're gonna miss what's in your midst. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more assuredly and consistently will community increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. He says, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if we could do that? Instead of talking about it, we could be about it. And I don't know what it is that the spirit of God wants to say to you about that, but I wanna give him the last word and I wanna have him an opportunity to say that to you. So would you just, would you find a posture of prayer? Would you just go before the Lord and ask him, what is it that you have to say to me about all of this? And open up your ears. I'll close this in a minute. As we continue to just sit in the presence of God, would you, would you just continue to stay in a posture of prayer and allow me to just tie all of this together for us with this practice of, of prayer. We talked at the beginning about the two things that I think God wants us to hear this morning. It's that you are loved. You are dearly loved and we need each other. And I wanna bring those together as we pray. I want you to just envision before you right now a big, long banquet table, a beautiful spread. Could be the longest banquet table you could ever imagine. And there at the center of it is Jesus himself, the host of the table. And he has before him, a freshly baked loaf of bread and a carafe of wine. And he looks up and down the table at us. This isn't a table where we're the only ones sitting. It's crowded, it's full, it's packed with people. Some we expected to see here and some we didn't. And Jesus is the host of this table. Because Jesus wants our company. And he looks at us around his table, one look down along the right side, along the left side. And he holds up the loaf of bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat this, remember me. And we pass loaves of freshly baked bread up and down the banquet table and we eat the bread together. We're kind of all chewing our eyes on Jesus still. And Jesus raises a glass of wine, probably in a fancy Jesus style goblet. And he says, here, this wine represents my blood that was shed for you every time you drink it. Remember me. And wine is poured up and down the table. No grape juice here today, just wine. And we all take a sip. We pause. Because for a moment, we're deeply reflective. This is the Jesus who saves us, who heals us, who makes us whole and reconciles us to himself. But then we put the wine down next to us and we look up and down the table again and we realize this is also the Jesus who reconciles us to one another. We're gathered together at the banquet table and everyone has a seat and Jesus is our host. And certainly we remember that Jesus died on the cross and was raised to new life, but now we celebrate. For we are made whole in Him. Jesus wants our company. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.